Welcome to OCDQ Radio, a podcast from OCDQ Blog. Obsessive Compulsive Data Quality. OCDQ Radio is a vendor neutral podcast about data quality and its related disciplines, including data governance, master data management, and business intelligence. OCDQ Radio is produced and hosted by Jim Harris, the blogger in chief at Obsessive Compulsive Data Quality. OCDQblog.com. On this episode of OCDQ Radio, we're going to discuss how to protect your organization from the risks that arise from low-quality data and information assets. For this discussion, I'm pleased to be joined by a special guest. Dr. Alexander Boric is the inventor of Total Information Risk Management, TIRM, and the leading expert on how to apply risk management principles to data management. Dr. Boric is a frequent speaker at international information management conferences and author of many research articles covering a range of topics, including EIM, data quality, crowdsourcing, and IT business value. In his current role at IBM, Dr. Boric applies data analytics to drive IBM's worldwide corporate strategy. Previously, he led a team at the University of Cambridge to develop the DIRM process and test it in a number of different industries. He holds a PhD in engineering from the University of Cambridge. Dr. Alexander Borak, welcome to OCDQ Radio. Hi, Jim. Thank you very much for having me. You have recently published a new book, Total Information Risk Management, Maximizing the Value of Data and Information Assets. It seems like we went from people not really talking much about data to almost people talking too much about data with the era of big data being upon us. So from your perspective, how is it that we should really be approaching or understanding the value of data and information and what makes it an asset to an organization? I think we all agree that data and information are maybe becoming the central assets of every organization these days. I think that's really not the thing we need to discuss because I think it's, it's something where we have an overarching agreement across all disciplines. I think what we really need to discuss is why are executives and business managers saying data and information are really, really important assets to us and we take data and information quality very seriously. And in reality, what happens is that data and information quality gets ignored by the business when it comes to investments, when it comes to changes in the business. And I think one of the reasons for that is because we haven't figured out a great way yet, or at least we don't use it enough in the mainstream, how to measure and quantify the value of having good data and of the anti-value of the risk of not having the right data. Executives basically distribute resources based on metrics that are business-driven, focusing on things like savings, efficiency, productivity, revenue growth, whatever they want to achieve in the business. They simply don't care about metrics like this data is only 70% complete or not accurate enough or whatever excites us in the data management or IT department. So we really started to develop some approaches that people can use who are frustrated because they see that other people don't care enough about data in the actual day-to-day life in the organization. So we really focus on finding some ways to quantify and to really show evidence for the actual business value and the risk that poor data has. 
And we really try to empower people who want to have more action happening to improve the data and information quality in their organization and help them to convince their senior executives to invest in the data and information quality improvement. That's an excellent point because there is a divide or a disconnect between the talk and the walk. A lot of executives will talk the talk of saying, yes, data and information are important and they are assets to our organization. But in terms of walking the walk of showing how are you actually doing that on a day-to-day basis, demonstrating that you actually do value data and information, and what are you doing to make sure that it doesn't become a risk to your organization is something a lot of organizations haven't been able to demonstrate. And some people struggle with the identification of data and information as an asset because it's far less tangible than, say, money. You had mentioned executives like metrics and things that are very quantifiable. How much money we have in the bank is something that's very quantifiable. And the value that that cash flow has to the organization is obviously a financial asset. But making data seen as a tangible asset is a different challenge. Or or is it really just a conceptual issue? I think there are several points to that. One is the data quality and information quality discipline and data management overall came out of the IT department. And they are not particularly excited by business metrics. They want to focus on the data, on the IT. So one reason for that is really a cultural one. A lot of the people who develop metrics in their own paradigm. In other parts of businesses, we are able to quantify the value of very intangible things like patents, for example, on acquisitions. They are actually very intangible things. How can you say how much a patent is really worth? It actually gets only value once you use it. And that's the same with data information. So the second aspect of that is actually data and information are very tangible when they are used. If I use some data to make a decision and the decision goes wrong, I can feel the effect. To give a drastic example, if I mess up in a traffic light system of a city, there are people dying. That's a very tangible outcome. So a lot of the business metrics actually make things that are rather intangible into something really tangible by looking at the effects. And I think these are the methods that we are applying in our book to data and information. You make the point in your book that not everyone appreciates the importance of information and that you need to explain and demonstrate the business value of the information you are using. I like the example of the traffic light because we use information every day, but a lot of times we don't acknowledge that we are. So if I'm coming up to a traffic light and I see that the light is red, That is information that I need to acknowledge so that I come to a stop and don't drive across the intersection and cause an accident. I think a lot of times people don't acknowledge the importance of information until that accident occurs, until the information was ignored, or maybe the light turned green when it was supposed to stay red and you thought you could go, and the other side also had a green light and an accident was caused because of a faulty light or an information quality problem. Is there a way to be proactive about thinking of information? Because it seems like it's very easy for people to be reactive. But can we be more proactive and not have to have that traffic accident before we need to take information seriously? Every company has to do three things. Get revenues, manage the costs, and manage risk. They have to anticipate what's going on in the near and far future and act on it. Because if you don't do it, you won't exist as a company very long. If your industry is changing, you need to adapt to it. And I think that the same with data and information. You can't just wait until this accident happens, and that's the area of risk management. 
you need to see how likely it is that something like this happens, even if it hasn't happened before, and quantify it. And try your best to find objective estimates of how likely something can happen, what the impact of it is. In the book, you define that information risk is the effect of uncertainty on an organization's business objectives that arises from information quality. There is a lot of uncertainty in the organization, perhaps in terms of not knowing exactly which information is being used by a particular business objective, whether that's a decision-making process or an order fulfillment process or a customer service process. So as some of the precursor to identifying the risk is identifying the uses of information, sometimes it's almost a surprise to show people how information is actually being used to support specific business objectives. Absolutely, Jim. One of the key things to do, and that's one part of total information risk management, to identify who uses information and for which purposes currently and also to try to find out how it will be used in the future and by whom and for which purpose. Because as we discussed before, data and information only create an impact when they are used. To go back to that traffic analogy, we want that impact to be a positive impact and not a negative impact. You're listening to OCDQ Radio, a vendor-neutral podcast about data quality and its related disciplines from the Obsessive Compulsive Data Quality blog produced by Jim Harris. Visit ocdqblog.com forward slash podcast to find ways to subscribe to OCDQ Radio and get links to the blog post summaries of every episode. You'll also find ways to contact me, Jim Harris, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you would like to discuss sponsorship opportunities. So be sure to visit ocdqblog.com forward slash podcast for more information about OCDQ Radio. And now back to the show. On this episode of OCDQ Radio, special guest Dr. Alexander Borek discusses concepts from his new book, Total Information Risk Management, Maximizing the Value of Data and Information Assets. In terms of the total information risk management process that you outline in the book, you describe it as having three stages, establishing the context, information risk assessment, and information risk treatment. So why don't we take a look at each of those three in a little more detail. I think we've already started to touch upon the first one, establishing the context. So what are the aspects of that part of the total information risk management process? The whole TRM process is based on an ISO standard for general risk management. And we basically refined it to make it suitable for data information risks. In the first stage, you basically need to establish the context by looking at why do I want to manage risk that arise from data and information? What are my goals? What is the scope of it? Who should be responsible for it? And what is the general context? How do I put the process into my organization? How is it interconnected with data governance? How is it interconnected with risk management? So these are things that I need to define. And further, you need to understand your external environment of your company and internal environment. And I will explain what it is. External environment is anything from politics, from societal aspects, regulatory environment, competitive environment, anything that is the basic environment that your company is in, because that really determines the severity of risk. Let's say in a very fast-paced competitive environment, I need product delivery speed, and I need very fast products to market strategies, for example. If the environment is not very competitive, 
maybe I would think safety more important aspect. So this really drives how you evaluate risk in the end. The internal environment, that's the organization. So you need to analyze the organization. What are the key business processes? What do you want to achieve? What are the business objectives in your organization? And what's your structure and who's doing it? From that, you can then define how you want to measure impact. And that's very much connected to your business objectives. So if I'm a company that is, let's say, an energy utility, customer satisfaction, say health and safety, revenues, costs are most likely to be very important business objectives. Depending on the industry, you might have other business objectives. If you're a non-for-profit organization, you might have rather business objectives around cost and around effectiveness to help people or to heal diseases and so on. So it really depends on your organization what kind of business objectives you have and how you measure them. So it can be, for example, the impact of health and safety and can be the number of people injured per year if you're an energy company and have electricity lines out there. The internal and external environment is a good delineation. And again, this is going to vary based on industry and organization, but sometimes I wonder which of those two is more challenging. The external environment, financial services comes to mind in terms of having a lot more regulation in recent years because of the global financial crisis. So I think a lot of people are becoming more aware of regulatory compliance that is part of the external environment that the organization needs to comply with. But the internal environment and the politics that can be involved there and the data silos and the lack of sharing of data and the lack of communication between business units can be just as much of a roadblock, so to speak. And understanding that complete context, both internal and external, in and of itself, I think, is just a tremendous deliverable for organizations. Because before you can put together an action plan to assess the risk or, or treat the risk, you really need to establish that context first. Absolutely. And it really depends on the industry and what kind of company you are. But in some industries, the regulatory environment is really driving the business agenda, like in finance. But at the same time, root causes for information quality problems and risks are often found in the organization themselves, like you say, in silos. So both aspects need to be put together to get the right picture. The second stage of the total information risk management process is the information risk assessment. What goes into actually assessing the information risk? We put together a model based on how we understood how information risks arise in companies. So we worked with most part of my research at Cambridge University with Phil Woodall and Ajit Palikat. And Valeria Klassen. We basically had a four-year research project where we basically worked with companies to help them to assess information risks. And based on that, we gradually came up with more and more refined model of how information risks evolve and how they are best analyzed. And that's the best practice we based on scientific research and empirical research. And so the first thing that I would do is try to find the most important business processes that you want to focus on. And then you basically look in these business processes, what are the key activities that are done? Sometimes in business processes, you have activities done by different departments. That's the beauty of business processes, because you really look at what's happening in the business, because you go across departments and look at what are really the business flows across the business. Sometimes purchasing procurement process starts maybe by some engineers or somebody from a production and manufacturing company saying we need these parts and this goes to the procurement and 
they say, okay, we want to order these parts, and then it goes to upper management who approve it, for example. So you have a business process, and you have many different participants, and it really shows you what's going on in your business. And so the first step is really to understand who's involved in this business process, and what's happening in this business process, and what you want to achieve. And the second step is to find out for each of the activities, what are the information and data assets needed to complete the task. So if you want to make this purchasing decision, you need to understand what kind of materials do you really need, for example. And that would be one information asset that is absolutely essential to do the task. But sometimes data and information resources are useful for the task. They are not absolutely essential, but they can still add value. Basically, you really find all information that can provide value to the task. And you need to decide what to include, what not to include, based on what you think is significant. And that's basically done with the subject matter experts who know this business process. So you need to find the people who really are knowledgeable that, that are involved in the business process. And then you need to see where is information not fit for purpose to really support the task. And that's where you identify information quality problems. So it's really information quality in the purest sense, closest to the actual decision makers and people who information users. An information quality problem is basically a problem that arises because the information quality is not high enough for the task that it is used for. In your book, you make an excellent distinction between the direct and intermediate consequences of an information quality problem that impacts a business process. Could you give an example of that? Sure, Jim. So let's take this nice example where I purchased some new materials. If I have the wrong material codes, I put in the wrong order, and that's a direct consequence. That directly is something that comes out of poor data that you use for putting in the new order. An intermediate consequence is if I order the wrong material, it can mean that I waste some money because I, I get the wrong materials. That, that might be one intermediate consequence. Another intermediate consequence could be that I don't have the right materials in stock when I need them for production. So you might have even further intermediate consequences which is that the production has to be stopped for a while and people are idle and, and can't do anything. And you might have even completely different further intermediate consequences like having safety issues because you don't use the right material in production or you can have your machines damaged. So I think the important thing here is to understand that you have something happening directly because the data is not fit for use. But then you might have a chain of consequences coming from something going wrong in your business. Excellent to have that mapped out because I don't think a lot of organizations break down the business process into its constituent tasks, its associated information assets, potential information quality problems, and then those direct or intermediate consequences. Now, once you have all of that mapped out and you understand the landscape of potential risk, you mention in the book the need to determine the risk appetite of the organization. Because risks, once identified, are not always going to be perceived as high or low or always perceived high or low in a particular circumstance. So what goes into assessing the risk appetite of the organization in terms of these information risks? Where are you based, Jim? Me? I'm in Iowa, in the United States. So imagine a small manufacturer there has some problems and can't produce something for a day and it costs them maybe a million bucks. Do you think this is a problem for them? I would imagine so. <laughs> Probably a big problem for them. They might go bankrupt. Yes. <laughs> How about Goldman Sachs? Do you think they go bankrupt because of one million bucks? No. A company that makes probably a billion dollars a day, losing a million dollars is probably just the cost of doing business. 
I don't think it's that bad with Goldman Sachs yet. So I think we, we just write it off. Nobody would care about one million bucks. If it's one billion, yeah. So this is your risk appetite. How much are you willing to have at stake? How much controls do you put in place to prevent something because you really don't want it to happen? How bad is an impact for your business? How much is it worth for you to intervene to make sure something is really not happening? So risk appetite is really how willing am I to take on risk? So you need to set risk criteria. For this manufacturing company, $1 million might be a high risk, whereas for Goldman Sachs, that would be a very low risk. Another aspect of risk appetite is maybe for, let's say, British Petrol, $1 billion is as bad as for Goldman Sachs. But Goldman Sachs is probably a company which takes on much huger risks and is willing to take much huger risks on than BP. So it really depends on your business and on your priorities and how much risk you're willing to take on. Yeah, some industries are obviously much more risk-oriented. Insurance, for example, is pretty much an entire industry that is based on risk. Reminds me of investment risk potential in terms of when you're investing your money and how much risk you're willing to accept in your portfolio, understanding that riskier investments could make you more money, whereas with safer investments, you won't lose money, but you won't have as much potential long-term value. And data and information could be or should be viewed the same way. This is where some organizations not assessing the risk associated with information quality problems don't know where to start in terms of remediation or resolving those issues because you might have a very bad information quality problem that represents very low risk to the organization and therefore doesn't need to be prioritized. Yes, but this is often also because they don't know the risk. They, they just don't quantify it, Jim. I think that's really one of the key issues that companies just don't try to understand the impact because it's often massive. In the studies that are done, it always comes out that data information creates major risk. I think the problem that we have in corporate culture is that everyone says that everything is okay. So you really need a structured process. And that's one of them we have proposed in our book. That's a TRM approach to uncover the hidden risk behind data and information. Because VPs and directors and people who are managers, middle managers in the companies, they will always say to the CEO, look, it's great. Yes, not to be too cynical, I think that the default corporate culture in many organizations believes if something was really bad, then I would know about it. And since I'm not hearing anything, then everything must be okay. So we'll assume everything is okay and until proven otherwise. And that's when a lot of organizations get completely sideswiped by an information quality problem or an information risk problem because, again, that willful ignorance or lack of doing any assessment of where the potential risk could have come from was never performed. And then they're well behind the curve in order to be able to do something about those risks when they do materialize. Absolutely. And in a way, most of the companies today have a very high risk of appetite when it comes to data and information risk because they don't even start measuring them. They just ignore and they say, okay, this is actually our strategy. We don't do anything. And so they're willing to take on huge risks, maybe much huger than they would actually be willing to take somewhere else in an other business division. You're listening to OCDQ Radio, a vendor-neutral podcast about data quality and its related disciplines from the Obsessive Compulsive Data Quality blog produced by Jim Harris. Visit ocdqblog.com forward slash podcast to find ways to subscribe to OCDQ Radio and get links to the blog post summaries of every episode. You'll also find ways to contact me, Jim Harris, 
if you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you would like to discuss sponsorship opportunities. So be sure to visit ocdqblog.com forward slash podcast for more information about OCDQ Radio. And now, back to the show. On this episode of OCDQ Radio, special guest Dr. Alexander Borek discusses concepts from his new book, Total Information Risk Management, Maximizing the Value of Data and Information Assets. The third part of the Total Information Risk Management model is information risk treatment. So after we've gone through the information risk assessment and identified these potential risks and their potential consequences and their priorities, what is the plan that we put in place for treating those risks? This is basically a lot based on best practices and data and information quality. So we really have to analyze the root causes of the problems to to solve them. But sometimes we have to treat the symptoms because you can't get the root causes right and the information risks are still not tolerable. They are higher than your risk criteria. So you might need to go for symptom treatment. But preferably, you always try to address the root causes. You need to basically identify the right treatments based on, on the root causes or if it's not possible based on the symptoms. The core idea here is that you put in a business case in place like for any other investment. And that's nothing new in data quality. It's just that basically this investment plan or business case is a risk-based one where you use the outputs of the information risk assessment phase to say, actually, look, this data and information quality problem creating such high risk. And if you treat it, you can reduce it by 50%, let's say. And this is your value. So you could say that risk is the anti-value. And if you reduce the risk, you create value. And you use that as direct input to your business cases for data quality and any other initiatives that you do. Because information quality project can be anything from changing culture to a BI project, data governance, big data, whatever helps to, to really address the root causes of your information quality problems that cause risk. I like that analogy of risk being the anti-value made me think of matter and antimatter collisions that annihilate each other. And we understand that data and information can be very valuable assets to the organization. And going back to your earlier point that most executives would easily be able to say that and be convinced that that is true, but they don't look at the anti-value, the risks that could be brought to bear by a lack of information management and information governance that if unmanaged, those anti-values will collide with and annihilate the value of the organization's information and data assets. You had mentioned in the book that the three-part aspect of the TRIM process is something that happens sequentially, that we have to go through the establish the context, followed by the information risk assessment, and then the information risk treatment. However, there are actually two activities that are executed throughout the process, and that's communicate and consult and monitor and review. So can we touch a little bit upon on those two aspects there, starting with communicate and consult? The danger is that such a risk management process for data information is executed in a silo again where you basically don't involve enough people from different departments that you just do something again in the IT department, which doesn't really have an effect on the business. So you really need to get your key stakeholders aligned and involved and get them active to get changes in the business and to get the right inputs. So basically across all three stages, you really need to do a lot of stakeholder management, 
getting to talk to lots of people across the business. When I did studies and, and I implemented the TRM process in organizations, I went to people at the manufacturing line who are operators to talk to them to understand really what's going on because people who, who manage the production, they don't know necessarily what's going on in the actual operations. So in a way, you need to establish the contact with all key stakeholders across the business and across the hierarchies and try to communicate also to them the value of doing information risk management and the benefits for them to get the support. Because as in data governance, you need the support of a lot of people in the business to make it right. Well, definitely. I mean, a lot of times we talk negatively about data silos, but a lot of organizations are intentionally siloed in terms of a, a distribution of labor with different business units focused on one particular aspect of the overall business chain. And they need to be inwardly focused in order to be able to do their part of the organization's goal well. But there are always those parts where you have to have that handoff from one business unit to another or one group of stakeholders to another. And that's where things often fall down. So not having those stakeholders, at the very least, identified so you even know who to go talk to if you have an issue but having that communication plan in place, making sure that maybe some upstream processes are going to make a change that could have a substantial impact on a downstream process and making sure that that risk is mitigated by making sure that those changes are well communicated. is something that just seems so obvious to say, but seems very rarely well implemented in practice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's challenging. Everyone is busy. It's very hard to get time on the calendar. So you really need to make a case why this is important. And the good thing I saw by implementing total information risk management techniques in companies is that once you start the assessment bit, people across the business start to realize in their actual area of competences and their work areas how important data information is and how important it is to identify these risks. And actually, you give them a tool to show the upper management, look, this is data information that's really annoying me because I can't work with it. So they become very supportive once you start the risk assessment because you don't talk about IT, you don't talk about data, you talk about their problems doing their task. In the book, you make the distinction that you use the word total for a reason, that you're trying to emphasize that all core business processes have to be considered in the information risk management process. So TIRM is an enterprise-wide program. Is it something that just doesn't work if it's not enterprise-wide, or, or can it be done maybe in one business unit to start? In a way, total information risk management is very closely aligned to data governance because it's basically a further means you can do better data governance. Now, imagine you do data governance just in one part of the organization, in one business unit, and you have another way of doing data governance in a different unit. In a third unit, you don't do it at all. It creates chaos. I've seen that in many organizations. It's better to have an enterprise-wide approach to data. And I think this is something we don't need to discuss much and to debate much. I think it's more time to act because there is an agreement that we have to manage data information enterprise-wide and govern it. It's more about really doing it. So to answer your question, yeah, of course it creates also value like data governance, like other in initiatives, even in a small part of the organization. It's better to do it there than not to do it, but it creates much more value when you have an enterprise-wide approach. The last aspect of the ongoing foundation that's underneath the three different aspects of the TIRM process was monitor and review. 
What are some of the aspects involved there? Sometimes you implement a pilot and you let it run and it's not really effective because people are not doing it the best way. Maybe because they don't involve the right stakeholders. Maybe because they do decisions based on certain assumptions. When they select, for example, information risk treatments, and these assumptions are not the best ones. So you need basically procedure in place to see once we identified the information risks and we implemented something to mitigate them, did we really achieve the benefits we outlined? Or did we maybe had a too optimistic way to say how big the benefits are, or how quickly they are achieved? Or maybe we had a misconception of the information risks after all. Maybe the root causes were different. So it's really about reviewing what you've done after a while and seeing if you can improve things and if you need to do things differently. This has been an excellent discussion. Before we wrap up, is there any closing thought you wanted to address about total information risk management that we haven't had a chance to touch on? There's one thing that should really change if people take information risk management more seriously. I think in the future, we really should have not only data governance committees, but we need to communicate to these places where the top decisions are made, where data and information can really endanger the business and where we need to protect us from harm. So in a way, data information should become a more mainstream topic in the boardroom. And I think quantifying the risk and showing the value of doing something to improve it will have this discussion going forward. And I think it will also help people in the data quality discipline to thin a business case for data quality that can really convince everyone in the business and not only the IT. Excellent point. I think as more organizations are realizing the need to maximize the value of data and information assets, we're seeing a growing need for something like the total information risk management model. We have had the pleasure today of talking with its inventor, Dr. Alexander Bork who is also one of the authors of the new book, Total Information Risk Management, Maximizing the Value of Data and Information Asset, which is now available worldwide and is a must-read for all data and information managers who want to understand and measure the implications of low-quality data. The book provides step-by-step -step instructions, along with illustrative examples from studies in many different industries on how you can implement a total information risk management process in your organization. Dr. Alexander Boric, thank you very much for joining us today on OCDQ Radio. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you for listening to OCDQ Radio. Go to ocdqblog.com forward slash podcast, where you can find links to the blog post summaries of every episode ways to subscribe to OCDQ Radio via iTunes and a non-iTunes RSS feed, and a link to listen to OCDQ Radio on your mobile device with Stitcher Smart Radio. And you will find ways to contact me, Jim Harris, via Twitter, LinkedIn, and email. So be sure to visit ocdqblog.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening to OCDQ Radio. And until next time, may the data quality be with you, always.